Hey, thanks for taking time out today to join us. Every week, the team prays and works to create a service that's a blessing, that's engaging and helpful, and today is the same thing. Steve is gonna talk to us about what this kingdom of God that Jesus talks so much about really looks like. And in a little bit, Taylor is gonna talk to us about how Cornerstone is working to bring racial reconciliation to our communities, to our neighbors, to our part of the kingdom of God. I hope you're as hopeful as I am about where we're going as a church family. But let's get started. Come say hi in the chat and let us know what you're learning. Welcome to Cornerstone.
there. Happy Martin Luther King weekend. My name is Taylor, and I want to thank you for being a part of what God is doing at Cornerstone and let you know that I am so excited to worship and learn alongside you this hour. One of the ways that we as a church are working on bringing this kingdom unlike any other to our communities is by focusing on racial reconciliation. I'm so excited because our Cornerstone staff has been having tons of conversations and discussions to learn how we can best lead our whole church through this process. One of the next steps leading up to Martin Luther King Jr. Day is to invite you to the table as well. Starting in a few weeks, we'll roll out the first of what I hope will be many groups and gatherings that pause and study this process of racial reconciliation and how it relates to the gospel. And I would love for you to join in. One of my favorite quotes from Dr. King is an answer he gave to the question, is love really the solution to the race problem? Are there not times when man must stand up and fight fire with fire? And Dr. King answers with, and you can read it with me, love is creative and redemptive. Love builds up and unites. Hate tears down and destroys. The aftermath of the fight with fire method, which you suggest is bitterness and chaos. The aftermath of the love method is reconciliation and creation of the beloved community. Physical force can repress, restrain, coerce, destroy, but it cannot create and organize anything permanent. Only love can do that. Yes, love, which means understanding, creative, redemptive goodwill, even for one's enemies, is the solution to the race problem. Wow, that sounds very similar to Paul's words about love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 which if you've never read it, I encourage you to read it through. It's really good. So take a step today and find out more about our online Be The Bridge group starting on Thursday evenings. I think you'll really enjoy it. And you can find the link in the chat or visit our website at cornerstoneweb.org bridge. This is just one of the ways that Cornerstone is bringing the kingdom of God to our communities. And none of this would be possible without your investments each week. Thank you for partnering with Cornerstone. If you're not currently contributing to your church, I would encourage you to start today. Each donation helps us take meaningful steps to bring hope and healing to so many. So thank you. Now let's let's take it over to Pastor Steve Madsen as he takes a look at some of Jesus' words explaining what this kingdom he brings looks like. Grab your Bible. And let's learn together. Welcome to Cornerstone. So here we are today in the third week of this series about the kingdom that Jesus inaugurated. The Holy Spirit's timing of this series is impeccable. Uh, I see a lot of groups in the news these days of extremely varying viewpoints, uh, people who would never associate with each other, uh, groups who see the other side as what is wrong with our country. 
Uh, groups who would agree on little else would agree on this. The kingdom is broken. The system is broken. The system is not serving them well. This isn't how it's supposed to be. This year we've seen very divergent groups taking huge risks, even choosing violence as they go all in with a cause. Uh, they're wanting to be part of something big, something revolutionary. But in the process, they're making terrible decisions and bringing uh, themselves and others so much pain. You know, when I back away and think about it from a pastoral perspective, I think there's a real human need buried under all of this. A need to be part of a solution. A need to turn frustration into action. It's the hunger for things to be made right. That need, that craving for things to be made right is exactly what Christ came to address. The need itself is even part of God's image in us, but it can so easily be corrupted, so easily hijacked by those with an ungodly agenda. So we meet again today to recenter ourselves as we study Jesus, because Jesus is the leader we crave. He is the righteous one. He is the pure in heart, merciful, meek peacemaker. And the kingdom of God is the revolution the world truly needs. Now, if you've been reading the Gospel of Matthew along with me, you may have already discovered that Jesus never once gave us a simple or concise definition of his kingdom. That would have been nice. But to begin to understand Jesus, we must digest a lot of the things he did and how he did them. We must witness his encounters with all types of people and how he treated them. And then we must try to wrap our brains around all the things he said and who he said them to. So the kingdom of God isn't any easier for us to completely understand for, for us than, uh, than it was for them. Often, after Jesus told a story or explained a certain scripture, his own disciples were left scratching their heads and asking for clarification. When you study Christ, you see that he wanted to make you think. He hesitated to spoon feed truth to, to anyone. He wanted the listeners to stay tuned in, uh, to keep asking questions and to follow him to the next town and see him there. But then in one famous talk on a hillside west of Galilee Lake, in this beautiful location, far from the city, far from the noise, Jesus laid out some parameters for the kingdom of God. In this one sermon known as the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us the kingdom of God manifesto. And fortunately for us, his disciple Matthew wrote it all down, starting in chapter five of his gospel. And this is where we find ourselves today. Go with me to Matthew 5, chapter 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. 
his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Well, pray for me now, because I'm going to try to spend the next 30 minutes unpacking this powerful section of scripture uh, known as the Beatitudes. Uh, Beatitudes is a word that means blessed or living well. You could correctly translate each of these sentences to say, the poor in spirit are actually wealthy, or those who are mourning can experience joy, or persecution is a blessing in disguise, which kicks off the Sermon on the Mount in the same way as a lot of what Jesus said, because he usually said the opposite of anything you've ever heard anyone else say. So let's go back. Let's look at these blessing statements one at a time. Look again. Now, what, what's the first one? There it is. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why don't you say that? Blessed, say it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus isn't talking about the poor. He's talking about the poor in spirit. This is a new phrase that he brings to the discussion. Uh, it's a condition not identified anywhere else in Scripture. We'll call it spiritual poverty. Uh, this, these are those who have come to Jesus even though they are spiritually bankrupt. They didn't pursue Christ. They didn't even think to do that. He pursued them. They didn't discover the kingdom of God because they have this superb spiritual radar. Quite the opposite. They stumbled onto Jesus. Jesus found them and then explained it to them multiple times. He was patient with them, as spiritually dull as they were, and he blessed them in their spiritual poverty. So we could rewrite this first one to say, those who are worst at grasping spiritual truth can enter the kingdom of God and meet its king which is such a great promise to any of us who are easily intimidated by those super Christians who seem to understand it all. You know who I'm talking about, the ones who are absolutely sure in their explanations of complex biblical questions. Uh, they never really wonder about anything. They've got everything figured out. Uh, they're first to pray in a group setting and their prayers come out so easily, so eloquently. You feel like writing them down. And then it's your turn to pray and you're, oh, I don't know. and uh, You feel kind of, I don't know, kind of childish around them. 
This is the kind of person that has a scripture verse for each and every situation. And they often tell you what God has been revealing to them lately. They are just superb at being spiritual. But then Jesus comes to earth and says, do you know who's really blessed? Those of you who struggle to get in touch with spiritual realities. Those of you who Jesus would call poor in spirit. All right, how many of you in the chat room today are glad that God blesses the spiritually bankrupt, uh, the spiritually ignorant, uh, those among us who have more questions than answers? Like Simon Peter. Do you remember when uh, they were up at Caesarea Philippi uh, and, and there was that day when Simon actually answered one of Jesus' questions correctly? Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, Simon, wow. I'm shocked. You got one right. And then Jesus went on to say, I know you, buddy. So I know that you had help figuring that one out. The Holy Spirit just blessed you with spiritual insight. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The spiritually poor are given the entire kingdom. We are blessed for not being impressed with our own spirituality. Man, these are, I'm, I'm, we're going to give you all eight of them, but I've got to sit with that because I've had times in my life when I felt spiritually inadequate, not only as a Christian, but as a pastor. And so this encourages me so much to think that my spiritual wisdom is a gift from God. It's not something I would naturally have. My understanding of Jesus and the scriptures, uh, which has grown and grown, it's all a gift, a blessing from Jesus. All right, let's do number two. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You know, so many of us have mourned loss this year. Um, some of us are, are grieving heavily even today. So it does feel weird for Jesus to call grief uh, a blessing. When we're mourning, it doesn't feel like a blessing at all. It feels like we're in, enduring something terrible. So why would Jesus say this? Well, as I sat with this, several different things started to emerge in my mind uh, because I'm mourning uh, some personal loss today. And... Uh, I can truly attest to being comforted. And had I not needed comfort, comfort wouldn't have been provided. And there are other benefits uh, to this season as well, because, well, to be honest, there are things you cannot know until after suffering a loss. Grief digs a well, a well to an abundance of new awareness. Grief is the grad school of our life's education. Mourning loss ends up making us a, a better human being. I don't think you've lived fully until you've suffered loss. When we lose something, um, something that we assumed we would always have, we are given a greater appreciation of it. And also a greater appreciation of what is left. When we lose a person, when we lose someone that we have loved, uh, 
we look back on their life in true appreciation. We look back on their life and ask ourselves, now that they're gone, where do I have to step up and become better so that others will still benefit from that attribute that that loved one has? And uh, we also tend to love the ones that are still here more deeply. Loss simply prioritizes us. Loss reorganizes us. Loss clarifies us. In grief, we discover what we really want. And this also makes grief a blessing. You know, we've grieved so many things this year. Um, I actually want you to do something right now. I want you to take a moment to ponder, maybe even write down uh, a loss that you've experienced this year. And then maybe not immediately, but as you keep thinking about it, think about uh, in what strange way could that grief become a blessing? Like in, in what strange way could this beatitude be true in your life? Um, now, even as I say that, let's all be careful with our, our, our pithy Christianisms and our tendency to comfort someone with a scripture verse. That can actually be pretty annoying. Uh, let's be more apt to just comfort each other, to be together when we grieve. Make sure and reach out to someone, especially someone who's uh, alone right now. Uh, they don't have a house full. They're not competing for uh, internet time. They're, they're just there by themselves. And let's ask the question, you know, how are you feeling and, and uh, how are you doing? You might find someone in depression that's grieving loss and you could be a real Beatitudes number two blessing to that person who is mourning that loss. All right, we got to keep moving. Number three, uh, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, meek means humble and teachable. Uh, and the meek inherit the earth only after history reveals when the arrogant and the untouchable or un unteachable own it first. The arrogant uh, bring their sinful uh, selfish attitudes into the boardrooms and the throne rooms of this world. They take way too much credit for things that were done by others. And those who, uh, the, the, those who think that they have nothing to, to learn uh, actually become a self-fulfilling prophecy. They really don't learn. Now, the earth will eventually be inherited by the meek. I promise you. Uh, as illogical as, as it sounds, I know it will happen because God's son came to earth and said so. Jesus, who demonstrated what it is to not take the world by force, even though he could. Another thought is maybe the meek have already inherited the earth. Maybe when you don't have to control it or own it in order to enjoy it, it's already yours. My encouragement to you, get out and inherit the earth this week. One of the safest things you can do outside your home is to get out and off the beaten path for a long walk on a beautiful winter day. Exercise your body while you rest your soul and inherit the earth this week. All right, number four, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness 
for they will be filled. And what is righteousness? Well, it's everything that's good. It's the polar opposite of sinfulness. It's everything that is true. Uh, righteousness confronts the lies we hear every day. And a group who hungers and thirsts for righteousness end up living out the Imago Dei, the image of God that is already in them. Now, the righteous person is definitely not the person who bends truth to their own self-advantage. Uh, uh, the righteous person is not the person who tries to see how much they can get away with and still make it to heaven in the end. The righteous person is the person whose daily life brings what is good to their own neighborhood. According to Jesus, if we hunger for righteousness, if we thirst for righteousness, we'll be filled with righteousness. To hunger and thirst for righteousness also means that we desperately want things to be made right in the world for the goodness of God to defeat the evil all around us. What Jesus came to tell us is that he plans to bring righteousness to the world through us, his kingdom, his church. Our role in this world is not for us to uh, sit back and point out the unrighteousness, the sin, and to judge sinful people. Our responsibility goes beyond behaving ourselves and avoiding sin. In this sermon, Jesus will say, you are the light in this dark world. So to hunger and thirst for righteousness is to crave a greater role to light up the darkness. And this is lived out in a million of different ways uh, every day by true followers of Christ. The way you seek righteousness and the way you make things right in this world are unique to you. For some of us, it involves studying scripture and praying on a Zoom call. For some of us, seeking righteousness means doing right things like packing and delivering boxes of groceries to a hungry family in town. But then while some of us are sharing groceries, others of us are actively, actively creating jobs so that people can buy their own groceries. Some of us are educating children. Some of us are rescuing children who have been trafficked. Some of us are demanding justice. Others of us are out there providing justice. I'm reminded even uh, this summer how a lot of our great law enforcement people kind of got thrown under the bus with the discussion about uh, police brutality to people of color. Uh, I really regretted during that time that Cornerstone didn't step up more and defend all of our first responders who actually are out there providing righteousness on the streets. But there's other ways too. Uh, some of us are working to save the lives of the unborn. And then others of us are adopting those babies that are born or financially supporting those moms who will now struggle because they made the right choice to let that child live. Friends, there are a million ways to demonstrate a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. So I ask each and every one of you today, how hungry are you? How thirsty of you are you for things to be made right? How would anyone who knows you know that about you?
What will, you be, what will you be actually doing this month or this year to promote righteousness, to bring heaven to earth? Do you know anyone who is already doing this well? Maybe you could just join them so that you can be blessed and so that anyone you reach out to is also blessed. Think about your neighbors. How many of them want things to be made right? Well, let's make sure that we are working to satisfy our neighbor's thirst for things to be made right in this world. Like I said, so many of these are whole sermons in themselves, but hopefully this will stimulate some thought. Let's move on. Number five, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. You might have read ahead uh, Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, where Jesus tells a parable about an unmerciful servant. Uh, this, the parable is, is, pretty, is one that's pretty easy to understand. Jesus talks about a, guy, a servant who owes his master so much money that he could never repay it. So the master goes to throw the servant into debtor's prison and the servant just asks for mercy. The master gives the servant mercy and forgives the debt. But then the servant who has been forgiven so much finds a guy who owes him, I don't know, a few bucks. He grabs the guy by the throat. He's like going to choke him to death, yelling at him and says, pay me, pay me. And the guy says, hey, have mercy. I can't pay you. And the guy has, that unmerciful servant has the other guy thrown into debtor's jail and his family. Well, the other servants are furious and they hear about it and they rat him out to the master. And the master then says to him, how could you be so ungrateful after I've forgiven you so much that you couldn't turn and forgive that guy of so little? And then he says, the master throws the guy in jail. And then Jesus throws a warning at the end. So shall it be at the end of times for those who have not shown mercy. Wow. Jesus wanted his disciples to appreciate how merciful God has been to them and then to turn their debtors into their friends by showing mercy. Friends, do you, do you want God to show you mercy now and in the future? Well, here's a promise from the Son of God. The merciful will be shown mercy. Later in the same sermon in chapter seven, Jesus says, the measure you use for others is the same measure God will use for you. There are some things that Jesus say that are hard to understand. That one's pretty clear. All right, number six. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, I once heard uh, someone say, people see what they expected to see, implying that two people can look at the very same situation and see two different things. Um, I'm reading Jim Collins' latest book uh, titled B2.0, where he talks about his mentor and friend, Bill Lazier, who he met in 1983 when Jim was a grad student at Stanford taking one of Bill's classes. Well, they became friends and Bill mentored Jim for over 20 years until Bill passed away. In this recent book, Jim talks about how pure Bill's heart was, how he always chose to see the best in people, Bill would just trust anyone until they violated his trust. Jim once questioned Bill's seeming uh, naivete about human nature, but then Bill explained the method to his madness. 
He called it the trust wager. Bilt felt that he usually came out ahead by demonstrating pure trust in everyone he encountered. He even thought that by trusting people, you made them more trustworthy. He talked about how much better it is to approach people with an open hand and with no suspicion. Yeah, he got burned sometimes. But he chose this approach every time because he saw it as beneficial to him and to others. Now, there's a purity to that that I absolutely love. This same purity of heart is what, is, is what caused Jesus to choose the disciples he chose. And yes, um, Jesus got burned. Judas burned him. But Thomas the zealot didn't, and Matthew the tax collector didn't either. Jesus was 11 for 12 when it came to trusting people, to, to, to expecting good, good things uh, from the people that he chose. All right, so there are those of us that are choosing and leading teams. None, none of us bats a thousand. On every team we choose, there will probably be a Judas. But that doesn't mean we have to become suspicious of people in order to protect ourselves. We can ask God to make us pure in heart. And when he does, we will see God. That's the promise. And one of the places we see him is in the people that we trust. And that's where great relationships come from being pure in heart in our relationships with, with, with people who may or may not deserve it, but later go to, grow to appreciate it and actually become better for it. All right, I gotta keep moving. Number seven, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the sons of God. And what a perfect weekend to be saying blessed are the peacemakers. This is Martin Luther King weekend. Uh, a man who disturbed the peace in the most peaceful way possible. Some of us forget that Dr. King was a pastor of a congregation and, and, and Pastor King witnessed great injustice and he experienced a lot of it firsthand. He was thrown in jail in Birmingham and from that jail cell, he wrote to local pastors regarding the difference between negative and positive peace. Negative peace, Dr. King wrote, is the absence of tension, the temporary codependent tamping down of what is right, uh, keeping the peace but not solving the problem. Well, Dr. King refused to settle for that. He worked for what he called positive peace, which is the presence of justice. Justice is what Jesus called righteousness. Jesus would agree wholeheartedly with Dr. King's approach. Both men had no problem responding to and even creating conflict in the pursuit of justice. Both Jesus and Reverend King were violently killed for promoting a just peace and righteousness. Now, with all the mob violence we have seen this summer and last week, I crave leadership from people like Dr. King who demonstrated peacefully but stubbornly for righteousness. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus blesses the peacemakers, inviting us all to work for lasting peace. It's the peacemakers, Jesus says, that will be called the children of God. All right, the last beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, I've never been persecuted for righteousness. Righteousness. 
I'm thinking of the persecuted church as I, as I read this beatitude today. Uh, different friends I have in different parts of the world, Christ followers in Palestine and in Israel, Christians in Iraq and in India, pastors in Cuba who have suffered their entire lives under the Castro and Che regime. Yet their churches are packed, packed with true Christians, all paying a dear price for their faith, yes, but also seeing amazing miracles. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. I envy that. I don't envy their daily lives as they face harassment and beating and arrest and imprisonment, but I do envy the miracles they see regularly as they bring heaven to earth. And what I wish for you is, as we have opened the first 12 verses of this revolutionary sermon, is that as you reflect on what I have just said, that you will read on, finishing Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. My prayer as you study this kingdom manifesto is that these words would come to life in you, that what Jesus said on that hillside in 28 AD would completely change who you would have been without hearing him, without knowing him. This world needs you more than ever before to live out Christ's mission. I'm praying that you shine this week, that you bring hope and healing. I'd love it if more of us who have decided to follow Jesus would actually live by this manifesto. To be blunt, most people today who are calling themselves Christ's followers actually live very differently than he lived. They love being forgiven of their sins, but their lives don't reflect his message at all. If I have one prayer for you today, it would be this, that you would study Christ more as you follow hard after him, that your craving for things to be made right would cause you to fast and pray for God's kingdom to come, and that you would hear from God regarding what more you could do to bring heaven to earth in your own zip code. Jesus invites us all today in something big, into something important, more than just a personal relationship with him, but a mandate to bring heaven's values to earth's shores, inciting a revolution. Not a revolution of violence or of arrogance or unmerciful vengeance. It's a love revolution. We saw this this past summer and then this past week, how mobs tried to use hate to drive out hate. But only love can drive out hate. I'm not talking about a soft love, not a compliant love. I'm talking about a stubborn love, a strong love, a pure in heart love, a love that confronts evil head on and cuts to the core of every problem we see. This is the cause worth giving ourselves to. Make me a vessel of your peace Where there is war, let fighting cease All that divides us Come reconcile us Make me a vessel of your peace Make me vessel of your love where there is hatred break it up 
all creeds and colors bind us together make me a vessel of your love pour me out pour me out pour me out wherever I am wherever I go pour me out pour me out pour me out wherever I am wherever I go make me a vessel of your hope where dreams are dead come wake them up a new horizon Thanks, Steve. You know, we have our work cut out for us as 
We attempt to bring the kingdom of God to our communities, to our neighbors. And one of the ways we can live out God's kingdom best is by coming alongside each other, especially when things are tough. You know, I'm hearing stories from all over about how difficult this time of COVID mitigations and restrictions and racial tensions and political division has been on way too many of us. So before you go, do yourself a favor and tap into the resources of the care ministry here. We provide counseling and a ton of support groups like grief care as folks work through and walk through mourning of a loved one. We provide divorce care starting this month and lots of recovery groups. So if you want more information about these kinds of things, visit cornerstoneweb.org support groups. And let's make sure we're responding to the needs around us, our own needs, and the needs of the people that God brings across our path. And this Martin Luther King Jr. Day, take action. Sign up to, our, to be part of our Be The Bridge group. Do something that has an impact on you and your neighbors. Remember what Taylor quoted from Martin Luther King. Love builds up and unites. Hate tears down and destroys. Love is the solution to the race problem. All right, let's close today's service. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us so much that you made a way for us to be with you in eternity. And not just that, but you use us to restore creation. Jesus, use us to extend your kingdom. We love you. We pray these things in your name. I love you guys. I'm praying for you. And I'll see you soon. Bye.